Hello, and welcome to episode 12 of the Coin Press Podcast. I'm Luke Willis. Today, I'm joined by Kelsey Hightower. Hello, Kelsey. Welcome. Hey, uh, nice to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. Uh, so just to give everybody a, a brief background, uh, I know you're, you work for, for Google Cloud. You've done a lot with Kubernetes. You worked with Go and Docker and a lot of different tech. Um, <laughs> so you're, you're definitely familiar with building scalable, resilient, distributed systems. So uh, do you think that's a fair <laughs> assessment? Yeah, I've definitely been in this technology game for a long time. And, and that recent work, especially in the cloud world, uh, yeah. that's what we're building. That's what we're shipping. Absolutely. Cool. Um, so today, I mean, I would love to talk more about that. But today we are talking about uh, crypto. So um, for those who are already in the audience of the podcast, we talk about blockchain. And you're fairly vocal on Twitter as a, a crypto critic. Uh, I know you were recently upgraded to Web 2.5, <laughs> which is great. Uh, but I, uh, I think that your, your perspective there is, is very interesting. I think that you bring a very level voice uh, with your, um, your critiques of the technology, the culture, financial implications. So I just want to dig into that and understand the nuance behind your perspective a little bit more. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really helpful to understand that I see building things as a form of criticism. For sure. Right? Like when we build new systems, it's because we believe that the current ones, um, there could be some improvement, right? We fork a code base and we add new features to it, right? So that's kind of the mentality that I'm coming from. Yeah. And so as a trained engineer, you look at things and we find bugs and things to fix. Right. right. Um, so when you think about my kind of lens on this, that is how I enter most technology spaces is by trying to look at the things that say, okay, why would this not work? Or why would this be dangerous for me? Or how would this affect me in the future? So people have to know that is my fundamental philosophy and approach uh, to actually building things. Very interesting. So I'm curious how you rationalize that view against like the innovator's dilemma, where if you're in an organization or working on a project that already has a vision, course correcting that to an entirely new vision is a very difficult problem. Um, so a lot of the times building something new as that criticism is the fastest way to see your vision born out. Um, so, I, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, before Google, my average job tenure is like one and a half years. Sure. Right. So you come to a place, you see some problems and you want to fix them. And sometimes that means building new tools, innovating new processes, or scaling people up so they can also see the path forward and you knock it out. And right. after two years or so, you look around and it's like, maybe there aren't enough interesting problems here and I'm ready to graduate. Or like in the case of my kind of professional career, the thing that you built to solve that massive problem is now the thing that you want to work on. And so now I'm in DevOps and now I'm at Puppet Labs and it was the same conversations back then. Oh my God, you're trying to automate us out of a job. Right. What is this config management thing? What is this promise theory? I think it's overly complicated. We can just write shell scripts and run those against the servers. Why do we even need all this machinery? And right. then of course, I spent a couple of years at Puppet and I was like, maybe we don't need all this machinery. I've seen Docker, I've seen the different abstractions. Maybe I want to go work on that. So I pivot, switch gears, and now you're contributing to those things. And even the things that I saw in you know, config management, I created a project called CompD because I didn't think you needed all of Puppet anymore if the new world was going to be container-based. So maybe just take the parts of config management we need. And that was a fairly decent, successful open source project predicated on what happened when the time comes to sunset something, right? So even in my Kubernetes keynotes, I'm often on the keynote stage at the Kubernetes conference saying, this ain't going to be how things will be forever. Here's what we can learn from these other movements. So my approach has always been to continue to look for something that needs improvement. And there's only so far you can go within an existing project because maybe it does need to live and be what it is for the next 20 years. Doesn't, need to, doesn't mean that I need to be working on it for the next 20 years. So I think that has always been my pattern. And that's what the draw is in terms of curiosity to even look at any of this blockchain 
and Web3 technology because I am honestly curious. For sure. Cool. Um, so yeah, I think that's a that's an interesting point. You're very curious about this. So it's definitely, I think you said that um, this is a phase for you. You're interested in blockchain, but it's a phase. And I think that's fair. Um, I'm curious though, in this phase, is there anything you're learning either from your existing world that you think applies very well to blockchain or from blockchain that you think you want to pull into your existing Web2 world? So this is the root of my skepticism. Yeah. Who decides to increment the version right, sure. of, of web, right? Like we, we stopped doing that a long time ago, like the cloud and SaaS. None of those are web 2.0 things. These are more like services that have evolved because of the internet, right. not because we have better ways of building front ends or social media platforms. Services are just so far removed from that. Like we didn't increment the web because there are more mobile devices than computers now. We didn't increment the web when that happened. And that was a fundamental change on how society works altogether. It literally changed everything. And sure. so when something like blockchain shows up and then, you know, you sprinkle some of the other things around Web3 and someone says, all right, now we should increment the version number. You're like, whoa, wait, whoa, you mean to tell me that iPhone and Android wasn't enough to bump the version number? But a right. blockchain is, I got to dig in. What, what, semantic versioning is there for a reason. It's supposed to be a major change. And right. I'm looking at the release notes and I'm not seeing more features than the other two couple of things that I mentioned. Sure. And so when you dig in, you say, okay, what is this blockchain thing? Please show me, and I'm a technologist. So I want to dive in at the TCP level. It's a database that use Merkle trees. It's permissionless. So it does some things around um, the assumption of the type of data you would put there. Right, because in its current model, you can't go put your social security number in there with your name and your address. Right. That's not what that is for. That is dangerous to do that. But so the very nature of some of these public blockchains, their design is not to hold all the data in the world because that would actually be dangerous. You don't do right. that. So then it finds itself in some really unique situations like a Bitcoin type of application, maybe a crypto, I call them crypto tokens now. Um, it makes sense for that because maybe that's the type of system you want. And it reminds me of like, you use Redis for certain things. That's like a key value store for caching, you know, hot data. So you don't have to go to your database. It makes sense. A specialized data store. Same thing is true of graph databases and so forth. If people would have introduced it to the world as here's a different type of database technology that has some really good properties for these type of applications, I'm not sure a lot of people would pay attention to it. I think people would say, yeah, if you need that, go get it. If you need a graph database, go use it. Not a lot to talk about here. When you start to say, hey, this one application we built is going to change how your government works. You're like, what are you talking about? Right. Yeah, we're going to fundamentally change how money works. So uh, if you've been retired for the last 10 years and you're relying on that pension, we don't have a plan for you because if we... And I know that this is the extreme view. Sure. If we replace fiat currency, let's just pick on Bitcoin, for example. There's 21 million of these things. We know that some of them get lost. Some of them get burnt over time, whatever. But either way, we don't really have a plan for you in this system unless you kind of like buy into it now. And right. maybe the world will sort itself out. But we don't necessarily have that as part of the blueprint. That's not a requirement of what we're trying to do. That's a requirement of your government. And so people like me show up and say, okay, okay. If you're going to essentially defund the government, meaning that the money will be exponentially useless. So the thing that we're worried about, hyperinflation, here's a thing that could possibly accelerate that future for everybody. You should get on board. It's really hard in the case of Bitcoin to say, I am so excited about a future where I got a little bit of money, I'll be safe, but I have no idea what the rest of my family members will do because I don't actually have enough money to buy them life rafts either. And also, why are we building life rafts if we actually know that the boat has a hole in it? Can we not fix the boat? And people are like, nah, we should make life rafts. And then the people who get in can float to safety. 
right. Yeah, it's an interesting way to put it. Um, yeah, I think the uh, the cultural aspect of this is you know number go up and you you got to get in now. The whole the FOMO of if you don't buy Bitcoin or whatever altcoin it is today, you're gonna be left destitute in ten years. And <laughs> it's just it's kind of a toxic uh, mentality. Um, the the not gonna make it crowd right it just it's not a it's not a good look i think there's there's value from a marketing standpoint (laughs) if you're if your goal is to get people bought in and holding this token and padding your pockets uh then yeah that works great build fear of missing out and do that um but if this is supposed to be technology that improves the way humans coordinate and organize to be more efficient and decentralized, then let's talk more about that and less about number go up. Yeah. And and yeah, and I think also to put things in certain perspectives is that some people rely on centralized systems to survive. For sure. You know, like food stamp programs, disability programs, these things are kind of important. And so, again, when you say you're going to defund the things that actually allow those things to happen, like I, I agree with so many of the things why people believe we need alternative payment systems, like the settlement process. Sure. Um, but I don't believe, though, is the passion for the unbanked, the passion for the poor, because if that was really the goal, people, these same groups of people could have been lobbying to extreme measures with the same amount of capital that they're using to fund some of these things. So this is where I'm like, I don't know if all of a sudden this is like your your calls that you've attached to. So when I hear that, that kind of distracts from the conversation. Now, digging into some of this stuff, it is interesting where people start to think about like DeFi. Are there ways to kind of program some of these financial instruments? But again, as a normal person in the world, you know, as a technologist, probably first more than the finance person, Sure. The only time we hear about financial instruments is when something goes wrong. Yeah. Credit default swaps, mortgage-backed securities, like all of these clever tricks people want to do to introduce a new financial instrument into the world. And you say, hey, okay, uh, every time we seem to get super clever, we actually do things that aren't, aren't easy to rein back in. And when the wrong entities get involved – it feels like it's, it's like poison that spreads too quickly because what is the actual goal? If the goal is to have a better payment system, again, I get it. I'm in the United States of America. I have multiple Visa cards and I'm used to getting cash back when I buy something. Right. I've been a merchant before and I actually did like the convenience of not having a cash register that may come up short and I would take a credit card. And I also got a bit of protection in terms of fraud and, and things like that. So I've been on both sides of the payment thing. And honestly, in the US, I would probably say we have it pretty good. But I also am empathetic to someone who wants to send money overseas to a government who don't doesn't want to make that easy. Right. But this is my kind of second kind of hang up on a lot of this stuff is you will still have power structures that will remain regardless of the standard of money that we choose to adopt, because most oppression isn't just a lack of access to money. And a lot of people, I think they were claiming to help actually have no money, nor a phone. And so there's things that have to happen before you really can tackle human problems. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. Um, (laughs) And this goes back to what you're saying, where it's really it's a new kind of database that's good for specific things. And so to say it solves the world's problems is an overstep. Um, now, if certain things happen correctly and you get the right people adopting it and you know you are able to trust certain centralized connections to this decentralized environment, you could have a fairly impactful uh, technology here. But I think you're right that for people who don't have phones, for people who don't have money, this doesn't solve anything for them. It's just a database and it 
shouldn't, or at least it won't have any effect on them in the near term. Um, I do think it's interesting that you could use this technology to solve real world problems, but it's the, it's the connection between real world and the database that gets real fuzzy. So you get a lot of people in the space that talk about how great blockchain is, blah, 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 decentralization, isn't that fantastic? And I think that's awesome, but it, it misses the boat on, well, how do we, how do we bridge that gap? There needs to be, and there's a lot of work on like the Oracle problem and different stuff in that world, but it is, it's a hard problem. We can't reach out and solve everybody's real world problems today. And when you get to that technical aspect, I think a lot of people who want to participate in this space, like the more I dig in, the more I see real applications that have to exist in in society, like the iPhone has a web browser on it. Yeah, there's a, there's a reason why it has a web browser on it. Typically, new technology doesn't rip and replace what's already here. It tends to integrate while moving things forward in some degree. That's just you know responsible pace of technology. Yeah. So if you present blockchain as like a database that's specialized for a certain set of uh, things you want to build, that doesn't mean you don't need a front end website because billion people plus have a web browser. And so then it's easier to understand the architecture. Like, hey, this is why we need this particular system. It has these features. If you have something that needs these features, here you go. And again, I think if that was the case, I don't know if a lot of people would be this interested in it. Like ML and AI is pretty interesting what we want to do with it. Like it's in self-driving cars. But there's not an easy way to speculate on the raw sensors that they put in a Tesla, right? Like you can buy speculate on Tesla slot, but we don't go around saying, man, man, those mobile eye cameras, whoo, ah, that's that we gotta, that's gonna be my hedge against inflation. It's like, no, we don't hedge against inflation by downloading Postgres and hoarding it in the closet. Like we don't, we don't do that. So I think cryptocurrencies have really distracted a lot of the technical conversation because it's just not, it, it, there's like this loose relation, like Git is the repository that we chose to put Kubernetes in. Sure. Now we could talk about the value of Git and Merkle trees, or we could talk about Kubernetes that just, you know, sits on top. Maybe more concretely, there are Git-based file systems. Those are just interesting because of the properties they provide over something like a POSIX file system that tends to only work on one machine and you know you can clobber files pretty easily. But I don't know if we're there yet from a maturity standpoint. And I guess to some people out there, it's like, Kelsey, you're being pretty harsh to the people who are just interested in building technology, just like you are. And I was sure. like, look, that's a fair point. I just think that the narrative has been hijacked to yep. be about money go up. And then I can imagine all the builders are like, yo, that is not our message. Who right. put up that website? That is literally not our website. Yeah, I, I get that. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'm personally, I'm optimistic about the future of blockchain and its impact on the world. But yeah, I mean, there there is the money go up aspect. And I think anybody who is in the space, if even if they're like all in on the tech and don't really care about the finance, they're lying a little bit if they're not like, yeah, I mean, I'd like to see my, my bank account balance go up here, right? I, I, I like the money. Sure. That's cool. Uh, but <laughs> it's uh, it does distract from the underlying message. So just because I own a token, I feel conflicted now because I don't want to go shill the thing that I am invested in uh, because I wanted the people to buy it. Like, yeah, sure. I, I like the money. But that doesn't mean that I'm not excited about the technology. So I'm, I guess the question would ask is, if there was no money in it, yeah, would you be like I, I don't like I don't I have never really heard like an oracle, like you know, yeah, movement yeah. or group of you know what I mean I guess some people their job is kind of attached to it, so their ability to get hired in a new gig or something like that. But I wonder if some of the stuff that people talk about, like Dogecoin, mm -hmm. like you know. Why would that be your, your identity? It's like, it's not just about talking about it. Like when I see laser eyes in the profile, yeah. now we started, you know, and maybe this is not what it is, but 
it feels like a cult. You say, oh, whoa, bro. Like you change your profile picture because everybody else changed their profile picture to represent what again? We really believe in what? The money go up aspects of this token? Or do you actually believe in Merkle trees and using private keys to sign transactions that go into kind of this public ledger thing? Right. And they're like, dude, it's the future. I was like, why is it the future? Because I will be rich in this future. That's why I'm all in. It's like, okay, but just say that. But I think then, so I think the other part that people have to understand is if you come and say, we've made a new system and this new system, we will actually be rich in this new system. And you say, why do you get to be rich in the new system? What have you done for the world? Well, well, I bought the tokens. Genius move that I made. I right. bought the tokens early. That is my contribution to this to this thing right now. You say, okay, cool. So of all things considered, doctors, lawyers, mathematicians, teachers, the people who wrote the programming language that Bitcoin is written in. But you deserve to be at the top of the hierarchy because you bought the coins early. Right. Yes. And Kelsey, you can join me in this future if you get in now. Don't wait. Matter of fact, you should have... 3% of your net worth in this thing. Right. And so what would be my contribution? You got it, bro. You bought the tokens. Right. And the more people that buy the tokens, the higher the chance of this future we're talking about will exist. And so I think at that point, it almost doesn't matter what the technology is doing. Because I think if people said, Bitcoin is fundamentally broken, but it goes up 10% per day. People would say, Kelsey, I don't care if it was written on a napkin. 10% right. per day, you can't tell me anything else that I could put my money in <laughs> and get that much out. And that's where I say, I digress. I can't tell you of anything, maybe selling crack, that you put <laughs> money in and that much comes out for the simple act of buying it. Right, right. That scares me. I, I agree. Um I think so. So one of the things with crypto is it is a it's an open market. You can see everybody transacting. If you're selling, somebody else is buying at that price, and so it's a zero sum game. Somebody's a winner, somebody's a loser, depending on which direction the price goes. Ultimately, everybody's just trying to be a rational actor, and I think that that is that's true in any market. Like if you see the stock market or commodities or whatever, that's all happening today. It's just a little more opaque. So, and it's also backed by like real companies and not just some computers in a network doing something, who knows? And um, so I think it highlights some of the, the challenges of investing and it's not inherently a problem with with crypto tokens, it's it's more just, well, what are you really doing? You're putting money into Tesla stock. Is Tesla really benefiting from that? Or is it the person on the other side of that transaction? So this is where I agree a thousand percent. As yeah. someone who works at Google and gets restricted stock units, yep. the reason why those hold value is because there's a buyer on the other side of that. Like I, right. I benefit from this particular system. I also know that there's dark pools where people front run a lot of these transactions. There's some information asymmetry, even though they're supposed to be regulated industries. And even in blockchain, which I think some people may try to you know, skew some of the facts, you actually don't know who's buying and selling. Like I could buy and sell between my own two wallets right, to right. bid the price up and get back out. Yep. And so I think there's also a lot of information asymmetry in the blockchain world. But the thing that's interesting, though, is that there's this belief that it's fundamentally different than the stock market or some bad parts of the stock market because it's decentralized with it, air quotes. Yeah. And everything is transparent. And sometimes the best way to lie is to do it transparently because no one starts asking questions anymore. Like, oh, no, no, look. Look at the blockchain. This wallet moved $300 million to this wallet. Totally legit. People buy stuff for $300 million 
every day. It's like, right. no, they don't actually. <laughs> Very few people buy things for $300 million in a single transaction every day. And so I think, I think there's a little bit of kind of, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. So I'm not saying that crypto is bad because it happens there. I'm saying these are the bad parts of our financial system that I don't, that I'm not super excited that we want to cascade to everyone else, even those that can't afford to take the risk. And so that's where I just kind of hesitate and worry a little bit because I don't know if we're being very transparent. I mean, I, I'm reading some of the tweet threads where people say, hey, man, let me tell you about this rug pull that I got rugged. And it's like, that should be a problem. Like, yeah, I mean, look, it's part of the game. You know what I mean? You win some, you lose some. And you're just like, wow, is this what we're about to, as a society, say we're willing to accept? Right. That's my skepticism. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, to be in a position where you can get rugged and not throw up <laughs> as a result of just the, the sheer terror of losing all your money it's a it's a privilege to be in a position where you can do that right i mean nobody wants to lose all their money but if you're in the game and you're putting in i don't know three percent a hundred percent of your net worth but you're diversifying in different tokens and whatever and you get hit with one rug here and there it's a lot like venture capital well you're you're putting in all these bets and very few of them are going to pan out um, but if they pan out to a large enough degree, you'll win overall. So, Well, I think in the venture capital case, you have other tools at your disposal. Like, like think about the investment in Uber. You can put so much money in. Right. Deal with the lawsuits. Run the market. And then change things up when you go IPO. You have enough money to lose money for a decade. Right. That's a very powerful tool that most people don't have, which then feels more like gambling. Like yeah. if I put five bucks in here, I saw YouTube and, and I try to, I try to watch the people, people tell me to watch. And I turn on the YouTube channel and the guy's like, I believe this token is going to go to the moon. I was like, okay, we astronauts now. So we finna go to the moon. <laughs> what does this mean? Oh, right now it's priced at zero, 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 one cents. I think it's going to go up by 300% because I heard Elon likes it. Right. And you're like, really? This, this, this is going to be the new world where we go in and we like, please tweet something today, man. I'm really trying to buy that Lamborghini. I need you to tweet today before noon. Please right. do so. And so, I, look, I think, honestly, I don't waste my time worrying about people that go to Vegas sure. and play blackjack. And parts of me feel like I should just be fine with this. Why am I so concerned that people are playing? The, I play Magic the Gathering online with virtual tokens and me virtual too. cards. <laughs> and I'm real happy about it. And it makes me happy. And some people might say, Kelsey, you're literally wasting your time doing this. Like, why are you actually buying virtual cards that are not even real? Right. So I, I, I get it. I guess the part that just where I have a bit of concern is that I don't know if I literally want to live in a world where this will be the means of survival, hmm. not just going to work and being paid appropriately for what you contribute, but someone saying, no, we're going to pay you so low that you have to take a portion of your paycheck that you actually need to eat, put it into some token, and hopefully it goes up so you right. can actually pull it out to try to get just a little bit of enjoyment out of your life. What I'd rather have is a situation where this isn't attractive to the majority of the population. They say, I don't need to get lucky on picking the right token. My life is fine. I have everything I need. I have enough downtime and I'm healthy. I don't want to necessarily get ahead or buy the Lambo, but also I'm not jealous if you do. If that's right. what you want to do, I'll say nice car when it drives by. That's the balance that I actually want in the world. So if someone told me, Kelsey, all of these tokens will be used to fund basic income for the world. We're going to finally do it. We're going to finally just distribute. I've been to places like Oslo, where I think most people there get some type of um, check monthly or something because of the oil exports. They share in the revenue with the citizens. So lots of people aren't working minimum wage jobs because it wouldn't make a lot of sense because of what you're getting 
an almost guaranteed income as a citizen. And I think Alaska does it to a small degree. But if someone said, Kelsey, this new system that we created, we're going to fund basic income for everybody. I will probably be holding some tokens right now. Right. Right. Because I can see that world says, here's a plan for everybody. And if you want to get ahead, you can be an investor. And if not, this is what we want to do with the quote unquote tax, the fees, the whatever. We think this is where tax should go. It should go to the people. That would be a form of decentralization I can kind of get behind, right? Because some centralized authorities say you can only buy this food with the food stamps we give you, and they get to make the decisions. Right. But maybe some people will be better off saying, look, I would rather buy my food from Whole Foods or I would rather buy something like this that is more comparable to my diet. Honestly, that's what I thought when people were saying decentralization. Right. I thought they were really talking about like we are about to go and try to decentralize the old school power structures. Yeah. That's really what I thought it was going to be. And I look up, it's the same VCs from before. It's the same founders from before. And I'm like, I don't know if this is what we were talking about. Not that right. that is inherently a problem. I'm just saying is that now I think the original promise is something different now. And what I've been trying to do is get clarity on what are we talking about now? Sure. Because I, I keep getting confused. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. Um, so, I mean, I, I want to get into what are we talking about now, but I, I want to comment on a couple of things you said first. So there's, there's a couple problems with getting to basic income with decentralization and blockchain. Um, one is the anonymity layer, right? Where I can go create as many identities as I want. So how do you decide who gets what? <laughs> from a, like a basic income standpoint, right? Are you gonna implement a, uh, a centralized or maybe a decentralized entity that goes and vets every person to decide whether they get a check every month or, or what does this look like? So that's tough. This gets and I, wanna, I wanna add something there is that if that's tough, then what prevents one person from having 90% of the supply? Yes, yep. So that's where we say, look, if this is extremely hard and we really can't get to that in a safe way, but what's actually a little bit easier to do is actually accumulate the majority of this stuff over time because you have enough to just sit and hold. The rest of the world has to spend money. Right. If you have a lot of money, you just become a magnet for the money. And I think through taxation and some cases inflation, you can disrupt the hoarding mentality by just devaluing it or in some cases some people frame it this way taking it but imagine a world where you can't do that so sure. how does that play out yeah definitely uh that is tough right i i think with the the scope of blockchains today that's not a huge problem but for them to really have the impact of decentralization that we want to see that's something we have to address because, yeah, like you can go and assuming you want to pour whatever massive billions of dollars you have in the real world into some blockchain, you could acquire 90% theoretically of the, of the token supply. Um, now, with certain blockchains, that's harder because 90% of the supply isn't available, right? But if the price goes up, maybe more of that starts becoming available. So you can reach a point where um, just you pour in enough money that uh, people are willing to part with their tokens for, for a price. So, so that's one side of it. But with something like proof of work, uh, if you're going to mine Bitcoin, there's the idea that there's 51% attack, right? If you were able to spin up enough hash rate, then you could overpower the whole network and you know, make the whole thing insecure. Now that's a huge cost to be able to do that. And it would be fairly impractical to do that. But in theory, because it's a real world connection to the blockchain, there are enough resources <laughs> that somebody or a group of people could theoretically do that. So, Or the government could just cut your power. Sure, like, yeah. I, I, I think there's like, 
less chain bondage situations, right? Like literally just turn off your power. Yeah. And then you realize how connected humans actually are, right? This idea that you can just go off the grid and just, you know, participate. But I think that is also another example of, and I get it, a lot of people do have visions for a better future. So I am well aware uh, that it's early. Um, I do challenge the early notion because iPhone is about as old as Bitcoin is. And iPhone is dramatically, dramatically has improved since its first inception to the world. But fair enough. I would say that part of who can actually participate, depending on the chain, uh, if you don't have enough money to actually mine these things and keep up, the number of people who can actually do that starts to shrink. And then the question I always have is, is that group of people, even though they're supposed to be decentralized, independent actors, but do they eventually become the shadow government for this kind of thing? Because if you're doing this kind of thing, you don't talk to each other, (laughs) right? You don't, you don't, you don't go to the same NFT party and like hang out and say, Hey, how's it going? You don't pay attention to industry trends. My guess is they do communicate with each other. Yeah. And sometimes they make decisions together, like, to fork the main chain and do something different based on protocol disagreements. So I think when we talk about decentralized, yeah, I think there is actually a smaller group of people who are still responsible for carrying things forward. Yeah. And I think that that is with the way things are set up today, really hard to avoid. Like it's the, it's the anonymity aspect that makes that hard to avoid. You can't just distribute one vote to every individual. It's, one vote based on your hash rate in proof of work or your how much token you hold in proof of stake or i mean there's other consensus algorithms too but it's it's all based on something that you can prove to the blockchain which is not your identity it's how much of something you have so if you can come up with the means to collect enough of that yourself or get enough people on your side who have more of that, then yeah, you're now the shadow government. <laughs> you you are the 51% and you have control of the network. So what do we do in that situation? I mean, ultimately the network is insecure and where do we go from there? Um, like you could fork it and exclude the bad actors and say, we're starting our new country and it doesn't have those people in it. We're going to pick up where we left off, but is that better? Are you just delaying the the problem? And I think a lot of people who have experience with this stuff, you know, I live in the software world. When I see someone re-implementing HTTP, I say, hold on. You want to talk to another machine over the internet. There's a protocol for that. It's got battle tested over time. Um, I think your idea is pretty good, but the number of questions I would have to ask you to think through would take 20 years. Yeah. And a lot of those questions have been answered. I'm not saying that there isn't a better way, but I think this is where when, when the skeptics come in, especially on like the financial side, and they say, look, there are some human problems that, number one, I do agree that it's not fair to place the solution on the people who are working on solely the tech. Right. I will admit that. But again, when you have ambitions to be a tool used by everybody, then I think at some point you're going to have to listen to everyone's opinions. And this is where human consensus is hard. Yeah. And I think that part will actually be a requirement. I think some people have a vision that maybe smart contracts are, or the blockchain implementation will be how we arrive to consensus. But it's like, well, just like real law, it doesn't matter just because you wrote the law, it still needs to be practiced. It still needs to be respected. It still needs to be enforced, right? Like you might say smart contract says that this coin is yours. It's like, yeah, but I kind of want the coin from you. So just give it to me. He's like, yeah, that can't happen. It's like, yo, people ask you a certain way, you will part ways with your passphrase. Like that's a thing. (laughs) So So I just think we have to remind people. So all I'm really trying to do is, Remind people that there are real humans that have to exist and interact outside of the blockchain. And if your technology has this grand vision of being a tool people depend on, you're going to have to deal with some nuanced things that you may have never experienced in your life. 
Some people have never been poor in their life. Some people have never had to rely on the government to survive. Some people have never been oppressed by their government. And if this group of people want to actually build something that will try to deal with all of those use cases, this is a really, really hard problem, which is probably why we have so many currencies and spoken languages and cultures around the world, because it's really hard to kind of get everyone to agree on a certain set of rules without wanting to break away, just like Bitcoin or Ethereum broke away from some of their trends that they saw. So I think that's just going to be an evolution that we have to account for. For sure. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I am optimistic. I think that a lot of these problems can be solved. But to your point, all of the uh, the noise around money go up is distracting from working on that mission. Because we have people who are talented engineers who could build the future and help accelerate a decentralized world. Um, but they're not thinking about accessibility for people in impoverished countries that are dealing with oppression. They're thinking about how do I ship a token and make a million dollars and retire. <laughs> so it, you, you have this conflict of culture where if we actually believe in this technology and we want it to be something impactful that really makes a difference in the world, then we have to move toward teams of engineers that want to be involved in this for the long term are willing to sacrifice the potential money they could make doing something you know easier and money go up and instead focusing on things that are hard and meaningful and so the the incentives right now are not aligned so it's hard to to convince people unless they actually care about that mission and they want to have an impact in the world that's bigger than just their bank account. Yeah, I think in the current today, there's a lot of builders. And, you know, I've worked at startups when there were less than 10 people. And anytime these companies get bigger, you go from a collection of engineers executing on an idea to a collection of people bringing the idea to market. Yeah. And so everyone on the team won't be an engineer writing code. Yep. And I think for projects this big, you know, I always have this saying that some teams are very afraid to hire their customers. Because when you hire your customer, they're going to be like a user of your product. They're going to have different concerns and needs. You know, like think about the accessibility of a, of, of a public key, like to read it. If you're blind, how do you hear this long string of characters and make it make sense? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So there's a, there's a lot of nuance that has to go into. So I hope, you know, look, I wish people well. I hope that people don't find comfort and leaving people behind, because I think, I don't know if people understand what left behind means. Like, it's not a very safe thing to do. Like when you leave people behind and they get desperate, yeah. there tends to be someone that rises up and says, the reason why you're left behind is because of those people over there. Sure. Uh, no, you do not want to be the last person with all the food in your house when there's no more food everywhere else. That is actually not a good situation, especially right. if people know where you live. So look, it sounds like you're, and look, to be fair, a lot of people I meet in this space, they are rational people. Sure. Especially if they want to talk to you about this stuff. Um, so maybe I am talking about maybe a fringe group, but that fringe group is making so much noise that even if we're okay with the majority of this stuff, we can't help but listen to the people who have the more extremist views to say, whoa, 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 this who y'all letting in? It's like, yeah, Kels, we let everybody in. Right. And those people can contribute just like everyone else. And honestly, those people have been really good for the price of my holdings. So I don't think we really want to censor them right now because there is some value to some of that. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, I, I I always come back to the example of um, Ethereum's upgrade 1559, where fees get paid and then burnt. So it's a deflationary asset now. And so that if you're a token holder, 
you have a lot of this money, that's a great situation to be in. But if you're on the outside thinking about getting in, now you have to pay more. You see more of your, your entry fee going away to nobody. And then it's harder to become one of the, the elite in, in the Ethereum space. So that decision was made because the people involved in Ethereum who hold the token want to see the value go up. So how do you get the people who hold the token to make decisions that benefit the network, aka the people who could be involved in it, make it more accessible instead of basically their own wallets? So, And this is why we use our real names. Yeah. Because in society, when someone or a group pulls that, then people's like, we need answers. Who's the president? Right. Who's the chairman? Somebody can answer. It can't just be, oh, the community made this decision. Right, right. No, we're not not doing that. We need to know who in charge of the community right now. Because if something like that happens and it only benefits a small group of people, the larger group of people be like, this ain't going to work. Right. It's like, yeah, sorry, it's decentralized. I don't, we don't even have a phone number for the community. You just got to take the upgrade. As a matter of fact, you're not really mining or running nodes. So to be honest, you don't really get a say in any of this. Right. It just is what it is. And you just right. got to deal with it when you buy something next time. And so it's that, it's that very thing that makes people feel even more locked out of a system because, okay, maybe there's transparency in terms of what happens on the chain, but there ain't a ton of transparency in like that process. They're like, well, how do I get to be a person who has influence on that process? It's like, well, you know, there's people who write code. There's very smart people who've ran the numbers. They've done the benchmarks. This is what's good for us. This is what's good for the blockchain. This is what's good for the ecosystem. And you're just scratching your head like, I don't understand graph theory. I don't understand uh, uh zip roll-ups or whatever people like right. I, I don't understand so how can i even participate like oh you don't understand oh <laughs> bro man i mean you're just gonna have to trust us right yeah, oh, yeah. I, trustless environment you gotta trust us right <laughs> and so that's that's kind of been my biggest hang-up is that i think there's been this illusion that there's like this equal fair playing field in many ways it's not but i'll be interested to understand and maybe get your viewpoint on this one when I look at stable coins, mm-hmm. that actually makes more sense to me for some reason. Yeah. Like, let's say your stable coin is legitly backed by the currency you say is denominated in. Sure. And then you tell me that, hey, what we're going to do is make it be super cheap to move money anywhere in the world without all the fees. And our only goal is to make this thing track the real asset that's behind. And so when I hear that, I'm like, yeah, you would just use that all day long. That sounds like a better visa. That right. sounds like a better gift card without being locked into one merchant or vendor. I'm like, yo, this, why is this not the talk of the town? Right. right. If, if, if the goals are to reduce uh, fees, be inclusive to everyone, it sounds like put your money in, you get your same money out at the same rate of deflation or inflation that your currency is denominated in. All we're doing now is having a better technology to keep track of what's going on, speed up the settlement process. And of course, that to me feels way more transparent. I used to work in finance. We get these batch files that we process. Sometimes we forget one. And then maybe 72 hours later, we find out that, yeah, we missed one. (laughs) Let's reprocess it. This sounds better. Why is that not the talk of the town? So I'm kind of curious from your standpoint. Yeah, no, I I completely agree. I think what you're getting at is money has lots of different purposes. And so like the dollar is overloaded trying to do too many things. It is a store of value. It is a medium of exchange, um, et cetera, et cetera. So what you get is inflation and various other influences that are not beneficial to the consumer. Uh, So if I am somebody who just wants to get my paycheck and go buy a gallon of milk every week, then 
<laughs> what am I dealing with here? Sometimes the price goes up. Sometimes it stays flat. My paycheck isn't changing at the same rate. So what's the deal here? So cryptocurrency gives us the opportunity to split money on its different purposes. So stablecoins is a great one because you could have milk money, some coin that it's always one coin for a gallon of milk, no matter where you are in the world or whatever, right? I don't know, <laughs> probably oversimplifying that, but sure, there you go, right? So if you get paid by wherever you work in milk money, then your paycheck stays the same every week and you can always afford your milk and you don't need a raise to keep up with inflation and the consumer price index going up and whatever, because it's stable, it's pegged to that. So it's a great as a medium of exchange. Um, at the same time, it's decentralized, so it's censorship resistant. And so if your government decides to freeze bank accounts and that sort of thing, they, they can't really do that with your crypto wallet. And granted, they could still do things where um, they influence that connection between the blockchain and the real world, right? Uh, we're, we're not accepting payment at these retailers for wallets this, this, and this, right? So there's still tons of issues of censorship at that juncture. And I don't know that there are great solutions to that. But I think that if we have enough smart people working in this space and working towards decentralization, we may uncover interesting um, interactions that make that a little bit better for everybody than it is today. Yeah, I think those smart people will find themselves having to convince the government to allow that. Sure. Then you'll find smart people that would have to uphold that yep. because that is a temporary decision, right? Yep. Like gold standard was a thing for a while. Someone came along, a group of people come along and says, not anymore. There's that. So I think a lot of this stuff is going to come back down to the human condition for a lot of these things. And I think the earlier people really try to incorporate that component, I think you will stop over-engineering certain things, right? Because I think some things are just strictly over-engineered because you think you're going to solve a problem that actually can be done easier through human means. I, I think humans are still part of the equation. Like, I think people are trying to figure out, like, if I buy medicine with the crypto token and the medicine is bad, sure, what do you do? Can't reverse the transaction. Right. What do we do? Yeah. <laughs> so I think that's why things like Visa have chargeback. Right. People say chargeback. I'm like, well, time out. Is chargeback really bad? Like you told me that you're going to send me medicine, and that's not what you did. So now we have to make it right. Right. Because we can't go to Wild Wild West. It's like, man, did you get the right medicine? Damn. All right, man, I got to try again, but I don't have any more money. That's just how it is in crypto. It's like, yep. nah, we can't, we can't have that, right? So there's going to have to be a way to settle these type of disputes. Now, either they can happen with the technology, mm -hmm. but that's why we are, most of society has the ability to delete things. Yeah. And yeah. So, so the, so I'm particularly excited about um, smart contract wallets where like the, the, the response to you send your money to the wrong address, bummer, <laughs> you lose, uh, is you know, if you want any protections around that, the, the natural response is centralization. Let's set up a company that protects you from that. You work with our centralized exchange and you can't mess up. Or if you do, we'll cover you because you're within our, our fold. Um, so smart contract wallets is just the idea that it's uh, it's not custodial where somebody else is in charge of your money. You're still in charge of your money, but you can grant um, like protection to the people you trust, whoever that is. And if you do something wrong, then you've basically introduced arbiters that can say, yes, no, that was valid and, and create protections and insurance on the various things that people can do to mess up. Um, 
anyway, we could go down that rabbit hole for a long time. But but, the, but this is what I mean by like getting to the point where you might start engineering because you yeah. at some point you got to talk to those people and say, hey, so I do them on vacation. I'm not I'm not talking about reversing no damn transaction right now, man. Call somebody else. It's like, right. no, but I need you for quorum. Like, right. dude, what are you talking about? I don't have time to be dealing with this right now. Like, that's why right. we have entities that can have multiple people in a call center to take turns dealing with these type of issues. But that's yep. what I mean by that is that just thinking through this, if you, if you try to do this from the ground up, mm-hmm. I think you're just going to reinvent so many wheels. Sure. That people will step back and say, why? Why are you, <laughs> why are you doing this? Right. It's like, I don't know, man. We're doing our thing. Leave us alone. Yeah, and that's fair. I mean, I think it's 100% true that it's easier to build these systems in a centralized environment. And it, it works. Like, there's tons of systems today, Visa, that work. And people are protected. And it's awesome. And then you have decentralization, which sounds great. But it introduces a lot of cost and burden on the end user. So if we can't make that more accessible then it's a trade-off. Do you want decentralization or do you want a good experience? Or so, accountability is like the way I like to think about it. Is sure. Regardless of how the system's implemented, how do you implement accountability? Yeah. And when something goes wrong, a bug in the smart contract, mm-hmm. what do you do? Right. What do you do? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, I mean, I think... It, Today, it depends on the contract, depends on the developer, depends on the person using the contract. And there aren't systems of protection. You can build a lot of those things where if you want to deploy your contract with protections, you can go through this centralized group that will ensure it for the users or something like that. Um, So there's lots of ways to get to the point but it's all still theory. Can we build this so that it's no longer a trade-off? Is it, you know, oh, I'll use decentralization because it's just as easy and I like that. That's, that's when it starts to be better. How much time will go by before you say, I don't know, man, 20 years, 25, let's say in 25 years, we're still kind of talking about like trying yeah. to make this stuff work. Sure. Would you be like, yo, man, like, hey, I don't, I don't know. Like, are we on the right, right track here? Like, or is this like an infinite amount of time and space? I mean, I'm prepared to be wrong. <laughs> I, I, like, you're, you jump from one thing to the next in your career, one, one and a half years, tenure, right? I think that that is similar to the way I am, where I approach the problem, I look at it and say, this seems like the right solution. I'll invest myself into it and see if we can make headway. And as long as it still seems like there's something to latch onto there, where this still seems like the best thing, I'll keep running with it. But if at some point I realize, oh, no, it's just, it's not going to work, then I'll, I'll make a podcast episode that's five minutes long and say I'm shutting things down. <laughs> and that's where we'll be. Um, I know we're getting towards the end here. One thing I, I do appreciate is that maybe since me paying attention to any of this stuff, sure. I spent so much more time going super deep on our current financial system. Yeah. Going super deep in the limitations of code and why they're there, right? Like the relationship between tech and humans. And this is probably one area where these are valid discussions because they're so related to society, unlike containers and the Go programming language, right? Those those are like very loosely coupled. But this is like so close to saying, hey, we're attempting to describe how society works yeah. in these systems. So I would say that is like one positive that I take away from whether one blockchain, I think there's like 9,000 different tokens. I don't know how many core blockchains, but one of those may pan out. Maybe all of them pan out in some way. But either way, I think that has been like the most important part of the discussion for me is just to look at existing systems and say, why are people challenging them? Mm -hmm. I think that's that's true. And we want to stay away from challenging things that are working 
just because we have to rebuild it because blockchain like that that's tough why why would you throw away something that's working well just because you have to <laughs> let's figure out a way to make these work together and so that we can focus on the things that need improving and still benefit from all the work and the smart people that have put in the time already so all right well that's all the time we have uh kelsey i really appreciate you taking the time this was a great discussion so awesome thanks for having me luke absolutely all right well join me next week for the coin press podcast I'll talk to you later